Climacophobia, the fear of climbing stairs. It's surprising there's a term for it, but if you have chronic hip pain, it's easy to relate to. But you shouldn't have to. At the Cedar sinai Orthopedic Center, our minimally invasive techniques allow many patients to go back home within 24 hours and get back to everyday tasks, like walking up the stairs. More reasons to trust the number one hospital in L.A. for joint replacements. Call 1-800-CEDARS-1 or visit our website. Welcome to the Tell Janice Radio Show, where you will hear inspiring stories about life, love, and labor from amazing women to help lift you up. Now, here's your host, Janice. Thanks very much, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're listening, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from our guest today. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you know of a fabulous female that you would like me to give a shout-out to with a few words of encouragement, acknowledgement, or congratulations, please let me know their names by clicking on the link at telljanice.com. My guest today is Renee Thompson. She's the CEO and president of RTC Connections. She's out of Pittsburgh, PA, and Dr. Renee Thompson is a true champion for nurses. After more than 25 years as a nurse, a nurse educator, and nurse executive, Renee has become one of our leading authorities on nurse bullying, clinical and professional competence, and nursing cultures. Welcome to the show, Renee. Well, thank you so much, Janice. I'm uh, honored to be on your show. I'm excited to have you. I'm sure we're going to learn a lot. I'd like to start off on our show with our guests telling a little bit about themselves. Can you do that? Sure. Um, Well, as you said, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was born and raised here, and I love Pittsburgh. If we could just get rid of January and February, I'd probably stay here forever. But um, I I do travel a lot, so I I tend to get away from the cold weather uh, uh, as often as I can. But uh, I've been a nurse for about 25 years. Uh, I wasn't one of these um, people who started right out of high school, going to college to become a nurse. Um, I had a rocky beginning, and that makes me appreciate uh, the accomplishments that I've had um, up to this point because of the way I sort of started. But um, I've pretty much done everything you can do as a nurse. And then about five years ago, I took a leap of faith. I quit a really secure job that I loved working uh, in a corporate nursing uh, position for a large health system here in Western Pennsylvania, uh, I quit to start my own company. And so I've been for the last five years uh, educating, connecting, and inspiring nurses all over the world. So I, um, I really love the work that I'm doing. And like I said, it's, uh, it's an amazing journey how I got here. Well, it sounds like it. What was that leap of faith? I mean, what what prompted that leap of faith, Renee? Well, you know, I uh, have always found myself audiences speaking. Um, And uh, I started speaking at different conventions. And then even in in my uh, position uh, in corporate nursing, I'd have to speak to large audiences for the health system. And I just, that was when I was in my zone. I just loved it. And I do have a master's degree in, in nursing education, so I've been doing a lot of adjunct faculty work. And I would have people come up to me all the time saying, are you a professional speaker? This is the best talk I've ever heard. I'm like, no, it's just me up there talking. And then I thought, you know what? Other people do it. Why not me? So I thought to myself, you know, you only got one life. I didn't want to get to be 80 years old and look back and have regrets that I didn't try. So thank God I have a supportive husband. And I said, honey, (laughs) that's what I want to (laughs) do. I want to quit my really great job. (laughs) 
to, to start my own company, but you know, it didn't happen that quickly. But um, I actually uh, took an interim uh, consultant role that enabled me to quit and still have an income, and I did that temporarily while I started to grow my business and haven't looked back. Have had no regrets. I've always been a risk taker. Uh, so that really enabled me to to take that leap of faith and, and start this company. That's awesome. What does RTC Connections stand for? Well, it's RT Connections, and RT is just my name, uh, Renee Thompson. You know, it's, it's interesting. When I very when I started this company, uh, my original name was Renee Thompson and Associates because one of the things that I love to do is give opportunity for other people to write, to get published, to to get jobs, get promotions. It's, it's one of the things that I love to do. And, you know, that's why I had the associations. But then the more I looked at it, it sounded like I was a law firm. And I thought, wait a minute, this doesn't really identify what I do. And for years, I've always been called the connector. I would get calls from nurses who would say, you know, I'm interested in going back to school, but I don't really know where to go or what to do. And somebody suggested that I contact you or somebody wanted to have an opportunity to speak at their first uh, convention. And they'd contact me and said, so-and-so said, oh, if you want to do this, call Renee. Like, she'll, she'll help you. And so for, for years, people said, you are quite the connector. And so I was sitting there with some colleagues and brainstorming. And I thought, why not call my company, RT for Renee Thompson Connections, because that's what I do. I love connecting nurses and helping them uh, accomplish as, as much as they can accomplish. Oh, I love that, the connector. How appropriate, especially yeah. in your situation. And and you mentioned giving opportunities to others. And so you you felt along the you know, along your path that giving back to others was the way to go and you found your passion. Yeah, it's my favorite thing to do. When I get that nurse who comes to me and they're nervous about doing something, you know, maybe it's you know, speaking at the first convention, and I help them and I mentor them through the process, and then they they're successful. It's like it's like they're my child. Like I'm so proud of them. It's probably one of my my favorite moments when I when there's something that I can do that I I've done to help someone and you see them succeed. It's extremely rewarding. Absolutely. Um, you, I'm very interested in your topic of um, nurse-to-nurse bullying. How did you get involved in that? Yeah, um, well, um, when I was working in this corporate position, I was charged with developing a nurse residency program for the system. And if you're not familiar with those are, um, we know that uh, when new nurses that are you know just graduating, transition into professional practice, so they start their first job, there's this huge gap in their ability to sort of hit the ground running, to be able to then acclimate into the acute care world. It's, it's extremely challenging for them and for, for many reasons. Um, and so we know that uh, by establishing a nurse residency program, you can help these newest nurses really successfully transition into the professional role. Well, um, I to, to do this, I, you know, of course, looked at all the literature and, you know, what are other people doing, but I also did focus groups, and I met with our newest nurses, I met with student nurses, preceptors, you know, groups of nurses, and I wanted to find out what did they need to be successful, so I made sure we incorporated that into the program. All these nurses wanted to do was talk about how badly the other nurses treated them, and as I listened to their stories, 
it reminded me of my own experiences being eaten alive by the other nurses. And I thought to myself, you know what? I just can't sit back and say, well, that's just the way it is in nursing. Because if you're a nurse, you know this phrase, nurses eat their young. You know, nurses can be so caring and compassionate to their patients that they can be horrific to each other. So I decided that this was going to be my mission. And I will tell you, Janice, every single day of my life, a nurse reaches out to me asking for help with a bullying situation. And it's not just a problem in the United States. It's a global problem. I have nurses from all over the world contacting me for help. So it's something that that I'm passionate about, just respect and being kind to each other and supporting each other because ultimately it's the patients that either benefit or suffer uh, based on our behavior in healthcare. And it's not just nurse to nurse, it's physician to nurse, it's nurse to nursing assistant. Put it this way, it's human to human. You know, and in healthcare, um, especially we're dealing with stressful environments, um, we need to do a better job identifying and recognizing behaviors that are considered toxic that really undermine a culture of safety and addressing them, doing something about it. So that's what I do. Oh, I'm fascinated. I've worked um, with nurses for 20-some-odd years, and while I'm not a nurse, the nurse bullying, um, I was very interested and have been reading up on, on what you've been writing about and teaching about. And one thing that I find is a, a just a kind of a dichotomy is that um, while they're taught and you're taught as a nurse for patient advocacy, right? And then mm-hmm. you mentioned nurses nurses eat their young. So how does that how do those how do you how do you like profile nurses? If there's profiles for physicians, for example, how how does how do they go from one um theory to the next or one way of practicing to the next? Well, um, it's funny. I just posted an article on LinkedIn Pulse called The Number One Sin uh, Causing Nurse Bullying, and uh, it's envy, it's jealousy. And uh, when I talk about why is this so prevalent in the nursing profession, um, nursing is a predominantly female profession. Ninety percent of all nurses are female. And I always say, let's face it, ladies, we're not always that nice to each other. And that's one of the things that I love about your radio show because you highlight, you celebrate other women who are doing remarkable things. That's what we need to do. But when you think about it, you know, it wasn't that long ago that women were competing against each other, you know, to marry the prized male, to marry the doctor, the lawyer, the banker. And how did we do that? We did that by squashing our competitors. And so you fast forward to today and, you know, women are now the bankers. We are the lawyers. We are the doctors. But yet we still haven't let go of some of those squashing tendencies. And you may have heard this analogy. If you have a basket of crabs and you're, you know, say on the way to the kitchen to cook them, you'll have a crab that will try to climb out of the basket to escape. And once those other crabs in the basket see that, oh, they pull that crab back down. They will break the crab's legs and kill the crab just so that crab doesn't escape. And we see this among women. And, you know, what we find is, let's say, I'll give you a typical example. Uh, There are many different um, entry levels into nursing. You can be a nurse with a diploma, an associate's degree, a bachelor's. Okay, those are the three entry levels. Let's say you have a unit that has, primarily associate degree nurses, maybe some diploma nurses. 
and now you hire a brand-new nurse with a bachelor's degree. Those other nurses will be like, oh, she's got this big shot bachelor's degree. She thinks she's better than us. So what they do is they give that newest nurse the toughest assignments. They give that new nurse the silent treatment. They won't support that nurse. Oh, you got this big degree. You go figure it out for yourself. We see it all the time. Um, I have nurses who have told me, one in particular, it was so, so sad, she had won an award, okay, for clinical excellence. And she was so proud and so excited, and the manager made a big deal about it. Well, all of a sudden she started to notice that she was getting the worst assignments. You know, all the patients in isolation, the really difficult patients. And she thought maybe at first it was just her imagination. Well, then she overheard the the nurse who was making assignments, the charge nurse, trying to make a decision on who to give um, an ICU patient to, somebody, a patient who was coming up from the ICU who was a hot mess you know, who to give it to. And she says, Let, let's give it. And she said her name. Let's give it to her. She got that big shot award. Award. Let's make her work for it. And so, you know, we see wow. these types of behaviors. I know many nurses who want to go back to school for either their bachelor's or their master's, and they won't tell anyone who they work with if it's not supported. So it's this jealousy. It's this envy. You know, if you accomplish something, that means, you know, I'm, I, I don't have as much or it's unfair or you know, so what I do is I turn around and squash you or downplay your accomplishments. You know, we see this a lot, a lot. Well, it's not only in nursing. It's it's you mentioned it's being female, and I think um, hopefully we can overcome some of that. Looks like you're working towards that. I found that in the industry that I'm in with the nurses that I've been working with, the most um, productive. And the most successful ones do go through very similar situations that you've mentioned in the clinical setting, even though they're not in the mm-hmm. clinical setting. It's pervasive even in my industry, too. So oh, yeah. I, I, it's a female thing. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, life is difficult enough without, you know, women, you know, um, squashing other women. We need to do the opposite. We need to celebrate. You know, anytime I, I find somebody – find out that somebody accomplishes something or, you know, gets an award or, you know, succeeds, you know, does a great presentation. I'm like, you go, girl. I mean, I am the, mm-hmm. the, their champion. That's what we should do. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, I get a little, oh, boy, they got this award. I've never got that award. That's a normal human thing. You know, it's a normal feeling to feel mm-hmm. less than someone, especially when you see somebody else accomplishing, you know, something great. But what we should do is then recognize that and then use that to motivate us. Well, you know, she can do this. What else can I do? What can I do? And it's something that's meaningful to me, not in a competitive kind of way, but in an inspirational way. You know, what can I do? And that's what we need to do a better job with. We do because a lot of the behaviors coming out of, as you said, envy and jealousy. So I think as managers or people in, in what you're trying to do in speaking, if we just keep bringing it around, I keep telling myself that anyway, bringing it around to, know. you know, lifting them up, then hopefully, you know, we'll eliminate that. And how how do you think it's possible to eliminate the bullying in healthcare? Uh well, I am an optimist, and I think just by having a conversation and talking about this and working with my clients that we can swing the pendulum from, you know, a high level of bullying to no bullying. However, I'm a realist, and I recognize that it's not that simple because we're dealing with human behavior, which is extremely complex. 
So what I try to do when I work with um, organizations is first you have to identify the toxic people, uh, the, the ones who are malicious, the ones who uh, have a negative impact on patient outcomes. And Janice, I could give you numerous examples of these types of behaviors where it, they're shocking, like they're almost criminal. Like how could you even come to work and behave in this way? Um, mm-hmm. So you have to identify what those toxic behaviors are first, and you have to eliminate these people. Like I, I say, you don't work with these people. You fire these people. Like you find a way to terminate them. The problem is they tend to be your best clinicians. They tend to be, mm-hmm. uh, even if you look beyond healthcare, they tend to be excellent at what they do. And therefore, we justify or intellectualize their behavior because their work is so good. However, I try to tell organizations, healthcare organizations, we have an ethical responsibility to our public to make decisions based on what's best for them. And, you know, take a look around. Who's the public? We're all the public, okay? So I first work with them to eliminate those toxic, you know, toxic employees. You have to find out who they are. Most people know who they are. And you have to do your due diligence and terminate them. But then you have to consider the fact that not everything is bullying. You know, people think in, in, in healthcare we work in stressful environments because I still practice as a bedside nurse. Like I still work in my one of my the community hospitals here in Pittsburgh uh, a couple of days a month. Uh, I always say I have to keep my toe dipped in the water, if you know what I mean. I have to know what these nurses right. are going through so that I can help them. So, yeah, I'm there, you know. I'm in the weeds with them. I'm in the mud with them. And, you know, I, I know that it it's not – it's just not that simple to say, okay, you're you're going to get rid of your toxic people and then all of your problems are going to go away. And th- that's just not the way it works because there are some people who it's just their personality. They're a little crusty, okay? Does that necessarily mean that they need to be let go or they're a problem on the unit? What you have to do is look at the behaviors. And so if you've got people who are unsupportive, and they watch their coworkers drown. That's a problem that needs to be addressed. Um, I always talk about the stressful environments that nurses work in. And let's face it, when we're under stress, we're not always on our best behavior. You know, I, it's funny. I'll have a room full of, you know, 500 people, and I'll say, raise your hand if you've never gotten testy with anyone at work. And nobody raises their hand. Exactly, because we're humans. We can get testy with each other, but we're not all bullies. And sometimes, you know, maybe it's just the manager holding the employee accountable for their performance. You know, I had somebody say that um, one of her employees kept accusing her of bullying because she was uh, holding her accountable for coming to work on time. She's like, no, this isn't bullying. This is me telling you, you can't come into work every day late. You know what I mean? People are waiting for you to come in. So human behavior is complex um, at best. And so I think the first step is to recognize those behaviors that are considered bullying. And and I'll just tell you the definition of bullying is it's when you see the repeated patterns of destructive behavior with a conscious or unconscious attempt to do harm. So Mm -hmm. it's not the one time somebody gets testy with you. It's a repeated pattern. So when people ask me, how do I know if my coworker is a bully or maybe just a drama queen or, you know, a jerk or maybe they're just having a bad day? Well, I'll say, have you seen this behavior before, either directed towards you or directed towards someone else? Because if so, then you're, you might be going down the path of bullying. 
But, yeah, not everything is bullying. So, you know, to answer your question, um, can we get rid of bullying? Mm, yes and no. You can get rid of toxic people and then address some of the bullying um, behaviors. But then I think what's equally as important is you actually have to teach people how to behave. You can't assume that people, all, you know, everybody in, 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 as an employee, that they understand what respectful behaviors and assertive communication look like. Like you can't assume that. So it's teaching people what professional behavior looks like I think is equally as important. But, yeah, if you've got toxic people in your organization, don't use any of your energy to work with them. You need to fire them. Yeah, that's that's what I've learned from from my experience as well. Um, and you mentioned bullying. I'm glad you defined that for our audience mm-hmm. here. You know, repeated patterns of behavior. Um, those those bullies probably aren't going to be coached out of bullying. That's I think that's probably more innate and then how they were raised. Right, and and you know. I talk about confronting, you know, bad behavior, and this is, you know, what I always say. When you confront somebody's behavior, you usually have three outcomes. The first, oh, gosh, I never realized I was coming across this way. You know, that wasn't my intention. Because, you know, some people can be very aggressive at work, and they think they're being assertive. They think they're just being direct and clear, but they're coming across as either being intimidating or aggressive. So, When somebody says, I had no idea I was coming across that way, oh, I love this person, oh, I'll work with that person any day. Well, the second category is somebody who's got deep-seated issues. Like this is somebody who's got problems and it's affecting their work. You know, they say if everybody put their problems in a see-through suitcase and everybody put their suitcases in a big pile and you could see everybody else's problems, well, you take yours back, okay? There are some people with problems, okay? With them, I don't know that you can work with them. I know you can't do it alone. They may need, you know, employee assistance programs. They may need some therapy. I don't know. But that third category are those people who are not willing to accept any accountability, any responsibility for their behavior. And like I said, you don't work with these people. You fire them. The good news is they usually only represent about 3% of all employees mm-hmm. in all organizations you usually have 3% who are considered toxic that need to go. Well, at least it's just that 3% that we work with. But um you you mentioned having a relationship and that your husband was supportive during your career move. Um what kind of impacted your career early on and even now have um on your relationship and how did you balance everything? Oh, my gosh. Well, it was rough because um, what enabled me to leave to start this company was, I I mentioned, I I took an interim leadership position, and I went to Washington, D.C. It was supposed to be for four months, and I lived there for nine months. So I I had an apartment there. The company flew me home every other weekend. My husband would either drive down or I would drive home on the opposite weekend. And I will tell you, it was tough. When I first moved down there into my apartment, I had probably my first panic attack. Like, I remember I'm putting things away in my kitchen, and I start uncontrollably crying. Like, what have I done? Oh, my gosh, I quit a really great job, and here I am in this not very nice apartment. I'm leaving my husband. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And and he talked me down, and he said, you're going to grow from this. This is going to be healthy for you, and this is what you're going to have to go through, you know what I mean, to to get to where Mm -hmm. you want to be. And uh, I guess uh, I should mention that this is my second husband. 
So I, mm-hmm. I have two children from a previous marriage, and they're older, so it wasn't like I had kids at home. And my husband was uh, 36 before, uh, when I met him, my current husband, and he had been a bachelor. He had never been married before, so he was pretty secure being on his own. Like, he didn't need me right next to him because a lot of people said, how could you leave your husband? I'm like, you don't understand. Like, we are, we have such a strong marriage because we recognize that we're two individuals who have partnered together in, in this relationship, but we are okay independent as well. And we'd Skype every night and, you know, we'd look forward to our weekends together and we saw it as an adventure. That's how we did this. It was an adventure. And then when I came back, yeah, there were a lot of, you know, evenings where I'd be panicked thinking, you know, oh, my gosh, my first year, uh, my goal was to have one paid speaking gig, one, okay? And then I was worried, oh, my gosh, what if I don't get anybody to hire me? What was I thinking? I'm not that good. And then, you know, he was sort of the rock who just kept saying, just keep moving forward. Like, you know, Dory, just keep swimming, just keep Mm -hmm. swimming. And uh, we, we talked a lot, you know, our ability to, to sort of uh, talk through any issues that came up have been uh, really helpful. And, you know, we're learning as we go along. We've made mistakes with this business. I'm still making mistakes, but you learn from them and you just keep moving forward. So he's been great. Oh, that's that's good to hear. I'm glad that you've had all that kind of support. Um, and then one more question, too, for you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us choose safe career paths. And yeah. it looks like you, you kind of took that leap of faith, as you mentioned. Um, what would you advise young women in pursuing their passions? Like first to take the safe route or, what, you know, knowing what you've been through over the years, what would you, how would you apply that to young women and to your children? Yeah, I, I, I do this with my kids too. So my daughters are 28 and 30 and my uh, 30 year old, she's a, a physician and health teacher and she is, passionate about animals and she wanted to start her own um organic dog treat business as a a way to um make sure animals are getting really healthy treats um she's you know a health nut and to help support her um passion to help uh, no-kill dog shelters and so you know when she was 20 she didn't know what her passion was it wasn't until she got older and she started experiencing different things that she started to realize what she was truly passionate about. So what what I would advise young people is to experience everything and keep an open mind. And, you know, there are so many opportunities out there, but you have to allow yourself to open the door to go through those opportunities. And it's okay if you don't know what you're passionate about at first. I didn't. I mean, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. And that's okay, but I kept an open mind, and the key for me was education. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, formal education is important, but so is self-education. So my number one advice to, and, and what changed my life, was that I made the commitment to personal development. And it was independent of what anybody else told me to do, independent of whether or not it was part of a job description, whether I was being forced to do it. What I started to do was uh, the the most powerful moment of my life was when I made the commitment that I was going to take control of my life, and I went to the library, and I got out a library card, and I started reading. So one of my own personal strategies is I read every single day of my life. I will go without food before I go without my reading because reading is more nourishing to the brain. And I'm not talking, you know, 
romance novels. I'm talking like I just I just got done reading the um, Four Hour Body by Tim Ferriss. I read Four Hour Work Week. It was okay. The the body was okay. Um, but I read personal development books every single day of my life, and it, it changed my life. So that would probably be my number one recommendation. Yeah, commit to personal development. I love that. So education, experience, and personal development. Yep. And reading. Yep. I think we. Yeah. Yep. I love that, Renee. And um, do you have any special offerings for our listeners today? Sure. Um, well, I have uh, two websites. Uh, www.rtconnections.com. And actually, if you click on anti-bullying, um, you can. It, it'll take you to my website devoted just for bullying. And so whether you're a nurse or not, there's so much information on there. Most of my resources are free. But for anybody who contacts me through my website, who listened to this show, and they want to purchase any of my products, I'll give them free shipping. Extraordinary. That's your ebook. Pardon me? Can you talk about that yeah, for your is- ebook? Yeah, sure. Sorry, you broke up there for for a moment. Um, I was asked to uh, do a talk at a conference, and they they gave me the topic. They said, would you do something on, like, nurse fatigue, because that's a hot topic right now. Well, I put this talk together, and I I was the last presenter. I was kind of like the closing of this conference, and usually the last talks are always very – there's very low attendance, more than – 70% 70% of the conference attendees attended this talk. So I'm like, oh, my, this is an important topic. And the feedback was so overwhelmingly positive that um, I decided to take that talk and turn it into an ebook. And so now it's become one of my keynotes. I do four-hour workshops on um, decreasing fatigue and burnout, and I can do full-day seminars on this because I do this for leadership too. And so I really focus on um, energy more so than say, like managing your time or doing stress management techniques. I focus on how to protect and increase your physical energy, mental energy, and emotional energy. And I advocate highly for, you know, when I talk about physical energy, I have a colleague of mine, her name's Kathy Perry, and she wrote a book called The Ultimate Recipe for an Energetic Life, and it's about using food um, and understanding the way food either depletes your energy or gives you energy, and it's fascinating oh my gosh I I love nutrition and she validated a lot of what I already know but taught me so many more things that I didn't know so that is you know they say 60% of all healthcare employees report feeling burned out so if there are 3.1 million nurses in this country that's 2 million of us 2 million of us have uh, report feelings of being burned out well we can't give good patient care if we're not taking care of ourselves so this uh, book is just a, a quick little snapshot of some strategies. I'm all about the practical strategies that you can do to, um, you know, decrease fatigue because we have proven strategies to do this. You just got to do it. So, you know, nurses are notoriously known for eating donuts and drinking a lot of coffee. Well, that might be part of the reason that you continue to be fatigued, okay? <laughs> I mean, I love my coffee, but, you know, you got to you know cut it back a little bit, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no donuts and coffee. That's that's not going to get us through our day, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've really learned a lot today, Renee. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I always love an opportunity uh, to talk with other women and uh, really impressed I went on your 
website and I listened to some of your other uh, interviews. And, uh, again, thank you for what you're doing and really promoting some of the women who are out there doing amazing things. Uh, I'm truly honored the, to be uh, one of them. So thank you so much. Oh, this is this has been exciting for me, too, and I've learned a lot, as I said. Um, one more time, can you give the um, your website for our listeners one more time? Yes, it's www.rtconnections.com. And to get the um, discount on any of my products, there's a contact page. Just click on that and send me your information, and that way I'll go ahead and send you whatever product you want without the shipping cost. Terrific. Thank you so much, Renee. And ladies, I'm so happy that you turned in today and learned from amazing And I hope you recognize this is an opportunity to pass their knowledge onto your daughters and friends and share the wisdom of ages. I'll talk to you again soon. And in the meantime, let's lift each other up, spread the love and share an attitude of gratitude. Thank you so much. Olive Crest is a local nonprofit organization dedicated to preventing child abuse, treating and educating at-risk children, and preserving the family one life at a time. For 40 years, Olive Crest has provided safe, loving homes to at-risk youth throughout Southern California, Nevada, and the Pacific Northwest. There are many ways you can help, including volunteering or becoming a foster parent. Go to www.olivecrest.org or call 1-800-550-CHILD to learn more. That's 1-800-550-CHILD. Call today. You've been listening to the Tell Janice Radio Show. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest a guest for the show, or if you would like to nominate a fabulous female for a shout-out by Janice on the live show, please visit www.telljanice.com. Please share this episode with your social network and help us lift women up. Join us next week for another episode of Tell Janice.